Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins, my co-host is normally Bob Canning, and this is Thursday morning, which normally means a new episode of the show goes up, but uh, this week, no, uh, we don't have our planned 75th anniversary episode uh, up yet, but I tell you it will uh, be up next Thursday. So in the interest of keeping this a, a weekly show, we're bringing you, the listener, a sort of a summertime rerun in the form of a self-indulgent uh, past episode that has gone up once in the past. It's an old one uh, from early in this show's run um, back in March, uh, March 2nd of 2017. And uh, it's an episode that is very much about Bob and I, uh, who we were, how we got where we are, and and the pop culture that sort of reflected this at, at, at the time. Typical topic for the podcast, but awful, also uh, hopefully insightful, maybe, and it's from early on, you know, this is, this is an old one. So the audio quality may display this, uh, but I think it's still an interesting episode and one that helps shaped, uh, you know, again, where this particular podcast, 20th century podcast, uh, has been heading. And, and, you know, speaking of that word, uh, podcast and, and not so much smooth. Segways. If I could cross promote myself for a second here, uh, next week, um, starting on Tuesday, I think it's August 7th. If I'm doing the date right, I should have written that down or looked at a calendar. But yes, next Tuesday, I will be guesting on the movie by minute podcast, Flash Gordon Minute. It's a three times a week podcast that uh, dissects and discusses the 1980 live action sci fi film, Flash Gordon. Um, and it does so one minute at a time. It's produced by uh, two-time guest of the show, Jarf Hardeen, uh, hosted by Brad Mendelshin, who has also appeared on the show in the past and whose last name I may have mispronounced then as well. Sorry, Brad. Um, but it's a really fun program. You know, I was fortunate enough to be on three episodes of it. So um, I'll link to their main website uh, in the show notes for, for this episode and, and would implore you to check it out uh, next week. But first... This week on this show, um, you know, enjoy something you may have already heard. And then next week, you know, join us as we celebrate uh, 75 of these sorts of episodes. Um, discounting this week as one of the counted episodes. Dis discounting this week's. So, you know, not 76, but 75 because you're subtracting this one. Arbitrary numbering is the best. Um, I thought today, or I know today, because we're both prepped for it, what we could do. There are key moments in the movies and TV shows from my youth that I remember because they struck a chord. You know, they, they, they pierced something, they punctured something, and I grabbed onto them because these were movies that I identified wholeheartedly with. These are movies that spoke to me and in some some way informed and influenced where I was at the point of my life when I was seeing this. So I thought today what we could do is we'd, um, we'd, we'd go back and forth and talk about some of these images, you know, and they may not be from our most favorite movies. They may not be from the most influential 
you know, television programs of, of our youth, but what they are are images from movies and TV shows that struck us at the right time that we felt like that was a representation of who we are in that minute. And describing that to you right now, does that resemble how I described it to you before the show? I think you described it much better just now than prior to now. Now, are you regretting your decision? I don't know that I'm regretting my choices. I still think it fits. Um, I may have tried to get different pictures, although I mean, it's, I'm only limited to what I could find on Google. Um, exactly. But no, I think that does. I think that was a good good explanation of of what I actually came up with, and I and and I'm curious to see how it fits your pictures fit in with uh, with that definition. Sure. And what I'll do is, um, you know, in the show notes for this episode, however it is you get the podcast, there are show notes attached to it. I'll put links to all of these images that we're talking about so that uh, you can have a better sense of what Bob and I, uh, you know, what we're talking about. Um, but the I, I chose an image. There's a movie from 1984 called The Last Starfighter. Are you familiar with it? I am. I've seen it uh, only a couple times. That might be something I'd like to to reacquaint myself with. No, I would love to go back to it because it, it, it's been a while that, since I see it. But The Last Starfighter, it's a it's a movie about a kid on Earth who plays video games who gets drafted into this intergalactic army to go fight aliens in another sector of space, blah, blah, blah. But uh, in 1984, I, I wasn't aware of it from commercials. I, w- I didn't see it in the theater. I didn't see trailers. W- uh, what I saw is comic books at the time had a full-page ad uh, for for this this movie, the the last Starfighter. So on the back of issues of say Star Wars and Transformer comics, which would have been the comic books I was buying in that day, there was this image. It was a nighttime image. Um, it was like a, a long street stretching into the background, kind of like the Close Encounters poster. And in the foreground on the street was these two human teenagers, a, a guy and a girl. And the guy, I think he's I think he's just wearing like flannel. Maybe he's holding something in his arm. The girl's holding onto his arm, and they're standing there in the foreground. And he's kind of looking up to up in the air, kind of pondering the future. And behind him, and the rest of the poster is this alien face is sort of superimposed. You see stars. You see um, strange insignias. And you know, it's just uh, there was this idea of a small town Earthling who was going to be off to something bigger. You know, similar to like um, similar to like uh, Luke Skywalker when he's staring at that binary sunset. But this was set in 1984, the present. Looking at it kind of fed into my eight-year-old feeling of wanting something bigger, you know, daydreaming of, of, of greater things at the time. You know, I probably pretended I was a defender, a hero, or, or, you know, some sort of a sci-fi character. And in that summer of 1984, seeing that picture and not having anything to attach it to because I didn't know the plot of the movie, it just filled me with the sense of I have to get out, you know, get out of my small town and be bigger than I am. Wow. That's I like that. When I when I saw the picture because you had sent it to me ahead of time, I really was curious to see how it it tied in with your life. Um because it's not like we were uh you you weren't um an an alien starfighter. It's interesting too that you talked about, you know, um a, a picture that meant something to you that um was about bigger and better things. Um cuz as I was thinking about these things, I had a couple options of of my own that that sort of were about that as well what's what's the first image that you picked if i go through the the shuffle through the images you sent me would it be it would be i i picked this image from the movie when harry met sally 
Yeah, yeah which uh, 1989. 19, uh, 1989. And I don't know if I saw it in 1989. I may have. I didn't see it in theaters, so chances are I didn't see it in 89. But you were aware of it in 89, Yeah, I was aware right? of it in 89 for sure. Mm-hmm. And I must have seen it soon thereafter. Um, I might have been a sophomore in high school, so that would have been 90, 91. Um, sure. And I very much enjoyed it, loved it. In fact, it became one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, that's one we should do. We should go back to that fucking movie. I haven't seen that in a while. Um, I've seen it a lot, but not recently. But uh, let's let's talk about the picture for a minute. The image that I got, is that the one you intended? Yes. So it is uh, when they're in, I believe they're in a Sharper Image store, which I don't think, do those exist anymore? Sharper Image? They do. I'm banned for life, but they do. <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah, because I unvibrated a vibrating chair. But yes, they're still <laughs> around, I'm sure. But people know, like uh, just a glitzy... I almost feel like it's like men's gizmo store, which is incredibly yeah, sexist. Yeah, like a gizmo but, store. Know, yeah, they've got those there. massage chairs. And uh, in in this scene that, that I think everyone who has seen the movie will remember that uh, Harry, Billy Crystal's character, um, is singing in a uh, home karaoke machine. So the picture is him uh, singing Surrey with a fringe on top in the sharper image with Sally. Very current choice at the time. Big, big radio Huge. hit. But, but see, that's why it connected with me. Because at that time, I felt like, even though, you know, Harry, like, I don't know, he might have been in his 30s in this movie. Uh, to me, he felt like he could have been 50. You know, everybody was so much older. But, but to me, this little high school kid, I felt like I was Harry. And not just... B- b- He's singing Surrey with a Fringe on top in this scene. He's with a female best friend. And I felt like I had a lot of female best friends in high school um, that weren't my girlfriends. And I never even connected that they could be my girlfriends. And I was into musicals. I knew Oklahoma. And I loved Guys and Dolls. And I will always love uh, the film version of Paint Your Wagon with Clint Eastwood and, and uh, Lee Marvin. Um, and it just, I connected to this movie so much and I shouldn't have, I don't think I should have as a, as a sophomore in high school, but I really, really did. Um, and that scene, especially, I just felt like I was that kind of person that would, uh, and I still kind of am the kind that would embarrass myself solely really to embarrass the person I'm with just to make them laugh just, just to have fun, just to be silly and do it with somebody that's my best friend. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was a great, great scene. And, and that's why I picked that picture. Uh, cause it just really connected with me. It is a flirty scene, right? He is flirting with her in those, in that it, scene. Correct. I mean, like, he's I know constantly flirting with her throughout the movie. You know, even when they've decided they're just going to be friends, he's what, just, yeah. he, I mean, I don't know if you could call it, if you want to call it flirting, but he's being himself, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that's the best way to flirt is to just be who you are. And then if you connect with that person, all the better. Um, and that's what I liked about it. Like he's just being himself. And I felt like I could just be myself like Harry, like, why not? And you were in high school, right? You're the, 
eighth, ninth grade. Yeah, maybe? it was probably in tenth grade when yeah. I really saw it. And I even remember we went uh, on a in a youth trip. I had it was in a youth group, and we went to I think New York City um, to deliver some. I guess it was food, or I don't know what we had um, collected. I can't recall that part. Um, but one aspect of the trip that I really enjoyed is that we got to stay in a hotel room. And there were like four or five hotel rooms for the group of us. And we were just all jumping back and forth. And in one hotel room were the group leaders, the adults. And they were watching When Harry Met Sally. And that's the room I sat in. I had already seen the movie at that point. And, and they happened to be watching it. And I stayed in that room watching Harry Met Sally. I, and every time like one of the other kids showed up, I was like, dude, you got to stay and watch this fantastic movie, which you won't really care about, I don't think, because you're, you know, 14 but but uh but i know that feeling wasn't i feel that was great i feel like the high school discovery of what an adult could be yeah. and again these are cinematic adults they're not necessarily real adults but this idea that they're not married they're not the father from a, some sitcom they're not you know they're not uh working necessarily an office job but they're they're, they're struggling with relationships i that spoke a lot to me in high school. I mean, when Harry met Sally, what you know that I like the image you picked. I, if I had picked an image from that movie, I would have picked probably the one, the split screen where he's in bed talking with her because he's so dour and sad and everything in that scene. I think that hit me. But yeah, I think seeing adults in movies was and on TV shows was so liberating in a way, and so. I don't know. It motivated me to talk better. It motivated me to be funnier. It motivated yeah. me to interact. And in the and I think for both of us, heterosexually being attracted to women, these kind of movies spoke to us where it's kind of like, this is how you talk to women. This is how yeah. I'll distinguish myself from the rest of the school. And it's truly I what I, I did do that. Like I, I tried to, to talk like, like Billy Crystal and I got into Billy Crystal and, and then from that Robin Williams more and, and just that, that's that kind of comedy. And uh, Harry Connick Jr. entered my, uh, my my record collection. That was one of the first CDs I bought. Actually, was the, the Harry Connick Jr. Um, uh, "We Are in Love," which I think was his second or third album. But I also got the Harry Connick, or excuse me, the Harry Met Sally soundtrack. And yeah, I was the guy that was listening to big band and and musicals, um, kind of from watching When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, no, these things do influence us. I was curious if you if you had been watching musicals before the movie, but yeah, I had been. It would make sense. All of that's kind of tied together. That's, I mean, yeah. if that was what triggered you to get into Harry Connick Jr., that would totally make yeah. sense. My uh, the next image is my second image is, is very similar, actually, to what you uh, just described. It's from a TV show, um, early nineteen nineties. I disco- I discovered on TV my favorite uh sitcom of all time and it was fronted by my favorite comedian of all time there was a tv show called anything but love it was a 1990s abc sit office set sitcom about two characters richard lewis stand-up comedian richard lewis played a character named marty gold and jamie lee curtis from halloween and and uh, fish called wanda and so many other things played hannah miller and another reporter at uh, at the chicago uh, news magazine 
And the show was about the two of them as friends. Eventually, they started dating. But for the first two seasons, they were the guy and the girl, friend in the office, going through their lives but interacting. And, and the image uh, the image that I, I meant to choose, and maybe I'll fix this versus the image that I sent you. Every episode of the show started with the two of them sitting in a, a, a diner. And it was just a very straight-on shot, them at the table. And it was always they'd have a cup of coffee in front of them and... Richard Lewis would be on the right, Jamie Lee Curtis would be on the left, and they would just be talking. And it was just this image of the two of them at this counter, and he would basically be doing a routine for her. You know, they'd be talking a little mundane conversation, but it was basically a stand-up routine where he was just trying to make her laugh with intellectual sentence structure and smart, funny jokes. And it really was similar to what I think you saw in Billy Crystal. Uh, Richard Lewis was what I thought it meant uh, to be an adult, you know? Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he was a writer. He had, you know, his political social stances, but he also went to therapy and, and all these things came out and these quips that he could do with his female friend, you know, and the two of them were going to explore their life together. And this image of them sitting in this exotic place of a diner, cause I never went to diners as a kid and just sharing their day there on a stage, you know, like the tabletop of it looked just like a stage and having an interaction there. You know, it was everything, everything about it was like the perfect relationship without it having to say, hey, we're a relationship. Yeah. It was romantic without any affection. It was deep and meaningful more than any other friendship without saying, hey, we're exclusive. And that was how I wanted to, to be. You know, that's how I wanted to sound because I understood it. There wasn't this commitment and danger of, of, of being in a relationship, which I still, still had a lot of anxiety about, but it was just being the smart, funny, best friend of this woman. And so that just struck me as that's how you exist. That's how you interact. And I mimicked that into the ground. I stole from it. I learned from it and eventually inhabited that role in more than a few friends' lives. And, and it's the image of that show. I would just... I loved the show and I would tape it and rewatch it constantly and then just played it. I would, I would, it was the kind of thing where I would, I would go to bed listening to the show and imagining myself and my friends as the characters, almost like it's a stage play. And that image of the two of them at the diner set in motion what it was I pursued for 15 years, 20 years, you know, unhealthily before I found a meaningful relationship. It really set that in motion. And then, and it's a, such an impactive image that I'm sure I've struck that very same pose myself multiple times in my life. I want to see that image. Yeah, I don't have that the the diner image. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. that is. I'll have to I'll have to put that up on the on the show notes gonna, for you when yeah. I re-listen to this. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. That that what what was the year of of anything but love? Um, it would have well it premiered in '89, so I must have been watching it there. But these episodes that I'm thinking of are are um, '91. What an probably. interesting '90 or '91. What an interesting connection that you and I just had there. You know, uh, you with with Richard Lewis, me with Billy Crystal, um, as our uh, adult um, uh, aspirations. You know, it's like these are the the men that we want to become uh, around about the same time. <laughs> In, uh, in in various comedy forms, um, that that's that's very very interesting. I did not know, you know, I didn't make that connection. I knew you're a huge Richard Lewis fan, um, and anything but love fan, um, but yeah, I never made that connection that the two that that you and I both had uh, similar moments in our lives uh, with these with these actors and and these performances. 
these comedians, yeah, yeah. these neurotic, mature, single comedians. Uh, do you think other people watch like anything but love was a show that I, maybe one or two of my other friends watched. Did you get the sense of how you watched and reviewing when Harry met Sally that other people in your grade and in your age bracket, that other people had that same experience? Um, I, I, the women did the girls, I guess they were. Um, but the women mm-hmm. did, I remember connecting with, with various, uh, females discussing when Harry met Sally, but none, none of the other guys that I hung out with at that time, um, that I know of now there were actually, um, other, you, you know what? That's not true. Um, and maybe it was a couple years later, later on in high school. Um, cause I ended up being in a, in a vocal jazz group, uh, in high school and, and the guys in that group, um, you know, we all kind of had a similar vein when it came to, to rom- romantic comedies and that kind of stuff. We weren't shy about our enjoyment of them and we all, we were in vocal jazz. So we all liked Harry Connick and, and, and other types of uh, jazz and show tune music. So um, eventually I did, but not initially, not initially. Yeah. There's something I, I feel at least that these things were my things. Last Starfighter, I felt the same way too. It's just like, I didn't know. And, and there were other people experience these things. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to do a show about it. But you know, the last Starfighter poster, but more so, the anything but love imagery and even when harry met sally because that movie that was a big movie for me i i I was very aware of it when it came out wanted to see it didn't till it was on videotape which would have been the following year but again these were the movies that were teaching me how to be an adult not really but what i thought an adult would be and i just it egotistically but also maybe just in a healthy way of if i was going to it it just they seem like intellectual things that other people weren't going to. And it helped me, you know, feeling outside of the school, feeling like I don't connect with sports, not feeling like the nerd outsider, but just feeling like I was somehow fundamentally not connecting with my school, having these things to mimic and also to enjoy as entertainment, but to mimic in public. I, I think it empowered me in a way. What, um, Moving moving forward from that, what's what's your what's your next image? Would it be your second or third? I've already lost track. Um, it's the, the the one from Friends. Okay, so we're gonna move into college. Yeah, I, I jumped to college. Yeah, I think that was a, an episode from season three. Um, so what we're looking at? What are we looking at when we look at this photo? Uh, well, this image that I took from Friends. It was very hard to find this image. Um. <laughs> This wasn't just a chance discovery on Google. This is what you were looking for. Yeah, and and I don't know if it'll um, post well in the show notes because it's it's a smaller uh, um, it's image post great. than the others. But I mean, you describe this as something that that uh, we watched um, that immediately connected with us. That you had just this, um, like I say, immediate connection. Um, and when I saw this episode of friends and, and this story arc um i was kind of living that and i could feel how ross was feeling and so let me let me backtrack a little so what we're looking at in this image is ross looking very uncomfortable as rachel is hugging mark who just helped her get her new job uh her first job out of um, from waitressing in the uh the fashion industry and in, in sales and fashion and yeah, no, I remember this. Ross and Rachel are dating at this moment. Yes. Yes. Ross and Rachel are dating. And leading up to this image, um, 
Rachel happens to bump into Mark who says, Oh, I'll give you my card. I can set you up with an interview. Um, and she gets really excited and she tells Ross how excited she is. And Ross has a line that is something like, Oh, that's great. And gives her a hug. And, and then some, something to the effect of sounds like Mark wants to have some sex or something like yeah, that. Something, yeah. <laughs> I do know that line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Rachel's like, no, not at all. And, you know, eventually Ross just gets jealous of the situation. And at my time, I didn't have something exactly like this, but I was in a similar situation where I was uh, dating and I had a girlfriend and I was in college in Boston and she was in college in Vermont. And our connection, I felt like I was losing my connection with her. And I felt like she was experiencing things and and having these moments that she couldn't share with me because of our distance and even communicating it to me just wasn't enough. And there were people there and sometimes I could even hear them talking in the background. Um, not that they were living together. It's just this is a communal place, college. And so um, I just got this feeling like I'm. I don't know what these other men are planning and I trust my girlfriend, but ultimately I'm not the one there connecting and doing things and helping her. And that made me very uncomfortable. And I could completely and utterly relate to how Ross was feeling um, during the story arc. How empowering to have the hero of the show have to go through this too. I mean, we were talking last week about Friends, and Ross is one of the characters I think we both identified with, at least at this point in the series, right? That's why you would have chosen this. So, yeah, how validating in a way (laughs) to find something you're enjoying, this TV show, this comical TV show that can present a painfully funny version of what you're going through. Of course you would gravitate to that. That, that, I mean, thinking about it now, yeah, that's, one, that's probably why I couldn't have a mature relationship to the one I'm in because of that exact mindset. Exactly. exactly. But it, it's funny. Yeah. And it but didn't I think help. the image you picked, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, the image I picked, I think, was, I mean, I kept going back to it. I, I almost used some other ones that, that were larger and I think presented better. Um, but I had to go with this one because it's that exact moment where you're not, you're the boyfriend but you really didn't do anything to help her in this situation and and you're not getting the hug some some other man is it coincides it seems like you were having these feelings before you saw the episode it's not like the episode informed you that something could be up right oh yeah like it was yeah. it was something i was already feeling and so to see it uh um manifested in in a in a television show that i thoroughly enjoyed uh just kind of, it it sort of it might have helped feed into it some more. Um, I mean, eventually mm-hmm. um, I became kind of a, a clingy and uh, <laughs> overly, overly excited. And, and like, uh, I can't remember if it was during high school or college. Uh, it must have been college. Um, there was a night where we kind of broke up and she left my house in a car. And I ran to her house after we broke up. I can't believe I'm telling this story. I ran to her house and and got to her house just as she was getting there in the car because she had to like drop another friend off. So and and basically tried to win her back and tell her like it was I can't remember exactly what we even talked about, but 
I was, I knew I was like telling her it would get better and I would be better or whatever it was. Um, that's your TV moment. There's your TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff doesn't work outside of a program as much as you want to use someone as a prop in that. That's, that's beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful, but it was in retrospect, really embarrassing and ultimately not yeah. beneficial to either one of us because it kept us together for a couple more years that that we could have been um, investing in ourselves and in other people. Yeah, I'm ouch, first of all. And <laughs> the other is I'm filing away right now. I think a worthwhile episode in the future would be episodes of things we've tried to recreate that have backfired because there's a, there are a few. <laughs> but uh, no, good good choice with that. I, again, it, you know, we were just talking about friends last week on the show, and um, yeah, and very uh, timing wise, it works really well. Also, not yeah, not a great emotion to emulate, so that's good. Um, the next image I had um, follows along suit. I'm still in high school. These images for me are still in high school. It's a shot from my favorite movie of all time. My favorite film is a movie called L.A. Story which is the 1991 comedy written on starring Steve Martin, directed by a director named Mick Jackson. It's a surreal romantic comedy about a weatherman who falls in love with this girl from uh, England. And there's a, there's a lot of levels of comedy in the movie. Seeing it on the big screen was a revelation for me. I, I was a huge Steve Martin fan. Didn't emulate him, didn't mimic him, but just I always liked his humor, liked his comedy, liked his movies. So when L.A. Story was being advertised during episodes of Anything But Love in 1991, I saw the ads. I thought, oh, this would be great. It's another fun adult kind of, you know, this is how adults live kind of uh, comedy. Of course I want to go see this. So a bunch of friends and myself went to see it. And I have to say, seeing L.A. Story on the big screen was one of those experiences where the rest of the audience, my friends, everyone, they all kind of blocked out, you know, my view. And I was just so fascinated by this movie that could trans, I don't know, transperse, what is it? Just cross all these different levels and genres of humor. There was dumb jokes. There was clever wordplay. There was surreal jokes. And there was a real beauty to it. It was a a romanticized... Fantasy, thank you. A, a very much a romantic fantasy, and the and the scene that um, the 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 still that I pulled from this movie, it's uh, Steve Martin's character and Victoria Tennant is is the woman's character. Um, they had a, a you know they they are attracted to each other, but they haven't gotten together yet, and they have a, a night that winds up through a bunch of different events. At standing in front of a freeway sign, a light up freeway sign. And she's talking to him with the sign behind her. He's looking at her and, and the sign itself, which is, I think, something that's mainly used to broadcast, you know, like uh, road conditions and stuff. The text, kiss her, you fool, is up in it. The street sign is telling the Steve Barton character, kiss her. And that, to me, um, is like this mystical romance. You know, this yeah. idea of romance as mystery, as magical, as forces at work. Um, more so than anything but love, which was a realistic world kind of guy who's good at talking and good at his job. This this one made you know true romance seem like magic, and it was this kind of thing where all the elements of the world work with you. You know, the, just the setting works in your favor. Other people work in your favor. The moment, and seeing this, the weather exactly all these things that make that would turn a romantic a real life romantic encounter. If you were to stage it for a camera, these are all the elements that go into it. So this image, this idea 
of everything working for you to get you with this one woman, I mean, that that poisoned my mind in a way. It's a beautiful romantic movie, and it's, it's nice to be romantic. It's fun to be romantic, but ultimately it's a little detrimental. And I think this image, again, if the anything but love image guided how I interacted with, with women, you know, and how I, you know, most of my friends, I had more female friends than male friends, but a lot of it was this weird kind of like, are we dating? Are we not dating? You know, do we want to date kind of thing? If that, if that influenced that, this image just influenced my idea of what love had to be. It had to be all these mystical bells and whistles and, and swelling soundtrack and everything happening at once to create this, single solitary moment, you know, in time. And so I think with that in mind, once I got, you know, through high school and then getting into college, the relationships I pursued, which weren't many, you know, they were these prolonged, overly dramatic gestures, you know, the whole like, you know, under the bridge in Kenmore Square or by moonlight in the backyard of someone's house or, you know, over a toilet holding someone's hair back, whatever it was. (laughs) Are you saying that Ellie's story... Uh, guided you because or or were you already kind of feeling that that's what love should be and it hit you at that time you saw the movie at that time like that's what i'm trying to gauge here is it something that you already were or no the, the movie the movie triggered it i think the movie triggered yeah. it yeah i think i think you and i have had this sort of confl- uh, differing views on things before too i think a lot of times I don't think it's easily separate. You can't separate it easily, but a lot of the things I get out of these movies are ways of looking at, you know, ways of filtering feelings I have. You know, I didn't know what love was in 1991 in 10th grade. I had no idea what romance was. I saw it in movies and it seemed engaging and I thought I wanted some companionship, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know how a relationship worked. Seeing this movie and seeing how it worked, the pursuit and everything he had to go through to get this girl and all the elements working with him, all of that was very attractive to me in a cinematic yeah. way. And so I think this filtered my idea that this is what love is. Love is all of the work that gets you there. You know, love is yeah. the working against the world but with the world to be with this one person so yeah it 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 definitely it it's not the movie's fault movies don't have a responsibility you know it's just my i'm i'm susceptible to that sort of lawless romance uh yeah yeah and it's it's conscious and it's subconscious Uh, because as i'm sitting here listening to you and, and also looking at these images and uh just in my head, kind of replaying the fact that I told that that story about uh, running. Yeah, tell it again. After, yeah, after we broke up. No, but I'm just thinking, Tim. At the end of When Harry Met Sally, what does he do? Fucking run. He runs. Yeah. Was that in your head? That had to be in your head. It, I it well. That's what I'm saying. It was probably something subconscious in my head at that time, having seen these movies and 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 being. Uh, influenced and taught by them as to what you're supposed to do in a relationship and how you're supposed to be. Um, I don't think I was thinking it at the time, but certainly now, uh, what is it like 86 years later, (laughs) looking back on it? um, It's like, holy cow, look at how, how that influenced that, that moment. Yeah. We were lost morons who like, like giant gestures, right? I mean, What's one of your biggest? What's one of your biggest gestures, Tim? Oh God! Your, your post LA story gestures, without naming names or getting too uh, 
Yeah. Too embarrassed. Well, if if the time lapse of a restraining order works. <laughs> no, I I had a friend. This is uh this sadly is a 21st century memory, but I'll share it anyways. Uh 2003, yeah, so what was that? Oh, thanks. Um, so I was in I was in my <laughs> late twenties. Um, no, I uh, I had a friend. She and I we, we were you know we probably had known each other at that point for five or six months. We were good friends, or maybe even longer. We I think we got along well, and we eventually became you know just good friends. But there was this playful flirtation, at least that I perceived, without and as was my way, never addressing it, never approaching it, never saying like, hey, do you want to go out? Just letting it linger out there. So that if she or I, God forbid, dated someone, that person that we were dating in my mind was like the enemy. So one day her and I were walking through uh, the Boston Gardens, public gardens, and she said, so what's going on? You know, she kind of initiated this conversation of it seems like Ah. we're both at times expressing this interest. What is that all about? And normally, because that had happened before in that situation, I would feel caught you know, I'd feel like I'm right. uh, fumbling like and have to back back pedal. But something inside me, this this honesty <clears throat> and this confidence kind of struck, you know, rose up and I was like, Well, yeah, I, I think you know, I think we get along well. And like we sat down, we had a very mature conversation where I was like, I think we get along very well. I think I think we're good friends. I don't think we've ever addressed anything, and I think I'm jealous when you're with someone, but I don't know if that's a relationship. And she, you know, she said, Well, you know, I am I don't think we're gonna date, she said. I, I think I'm I'm with this person. I think I like you very much as a friend. I would hate to lose that if the relationship ended. And I remember telling her, and this surprised her. I was like, okay, I understand. I don't know if we, that is not how I feel, but I understand what you're saying and I want your friendship. And she was very surprised. She thought I was very mature about it. She thought, uh, she even said, well, I would not have expected that. That's great. And she, she had to get to an acting class. She went on to her acting class. I went back uh, at the time I was living in uh, in Cambridge. I went back into Cambridge. And along the way, riding the train back into Cambridge, um, it's, it, I, my mind began replaying the scenario. And, I was, and it started feeling like, what, did something go wrong? You know, suddenly I started thinking like, wait a minute. We just had this conversation where we said we don't want to date because we'd hate uh, to uh, to one day break up. And I started thinking like, huh, never really talked about it before then. And that's when my mind switched to you never told her that you wanted to date beforehand. You never expressed it to her was the idea. And I started in my head building up this idea that, well, yes, you just talked about how why you didn't want to date, but you never actually officially told her that you did want to date her. So by the time I got into Cambridge, my mind was sort of in this sweeping gesture mode of you have to show her you have to show her how you feel. Then she'll know. Then she'll know. So at the time, I was working at this coffee shop, the 1369 coffee shop, and I ran into this coffee shop, and I went in the back, and they had this little boom box, this little battery-powered you know, plug-in-the-wall boom box. So I grabbed that. I said, I need to borrow this. So I took that outside, but I realized that it has a cord. Where are you going to plug it in? So I went and I bought batteries, and, and those kind of boom boxes take, I think, D batteries, some sort of sizable battery. So I bought the batteries, and I slammed them in there, and I ran to my apartment, and I dug through my CDs thinking, hmm, what would tell her? What would tell her? What would tell her what I felt? And I thought this would be quirky, right? And I pulled out a Magnetic Fields album, the 69 Love Songs album, and, and there's a song in that called Nothing Matters When We're Dancing, do you know that song? I, I don't, sadly. Okay. It's a sweet little ukulele song, some cute lyrics. And I, I put that CD in 
And, um, you know, my idea was, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make the grand gesture. I think the problem is I never made a grand gesture. I'm going to make the grand gesture for her. So I knew she was going to be getting out of her acting class. So, um, I, as it was getting dark, I, 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 I had just gotten my first cell phone. So this must've been 2003. I had my first cell phone, um, rushed down on the train. I ride the red line into Boston cause she was living in, in, uh, somewhere off of Charles Street at the time, get off the train and I dial up her number. She answers. She's like, hello. I'm like, Hey, uh, it's me, obviously. She's like, yeah, what's up? It's like, well, you know, I was thinking about what we were talking about before. And it was silent on her end. I was like, you know, I, I, would you, and she's like, well, okay, what's up? And I was like, well, would you mind, uh, meeting up with me? I, I just, I wanted to ask you one more thing. I just want to ask you something. She's like, well, why can't you ask me? I'm like, well, what, what if we just met, uh, what if we just met in the comments? You want, you want to come to to the commons, I, I could ask you a question. It's like, well, what do you want? I was like, look, I just, I just need to talk to you for a minute. She's like, all right, I'll come meet you. So she came down from her apartment. And by that point I had somehow gotten myself a rose. I probably just bought it or plucked it. And I had the boom box. And- you grew it in that time and everything that you're doing in this amount of time, I'm sure you had time to also grow the rose. Blood, sweat, and tears is a very good sediment. <laughs> But uh, she came out of her apartment and she stepped out and I'll never forget it. She turned, you know, she turned to face me and her face went white in her eyes, locked on the boom box that I was struggling to hold, shifted for a moment, probably to the flower I was holding, and then looked up to greet my dumb face, which was already registering that she was very uncomfortable. And she was like, what are you doing? And because my idea was, I would say I'd never made, you know, I had a whole speech of how I would say I'd never made the grand gesture and I would hit play on this and the song would play and we'd do a little waltz in the park. That was my idea. But we were on Charles Street, which is a weird angled street. I said, um, can we just go to the park? I said, <laughs> and she looked so scared. She looked so like someone had just become unhinged. She's like, no. And I was like, oh, no, 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 is what I started telling her to try to assure her. It's not this. And I gestured at the boom box. It's, and this, this is for you. And I kind of had the flower. And she's like, no, Tim, we already talked about this, she said. I was like, I know. Let's just go to the park. I was so locked into this idea of staging yeah. this dumb little romantic escapade that I would never tell anybody about while speaking into a digital microphone 15 years later that I was so certain that that was the big gesture. And in a movie, it probably would have been a nice little image, but in real life, it felt like my first real psychotic break. Like it really felt like that because some, she went back in her place and I had to turn around and stumble to the train. And I really was thinking, what the fuck did you do? Why did you, what did you, what happened? Cause it was, it was, it was the perfect example of being deluded by television, you know, thinking things will work out like TV or movies. Yeah. I mean, I think she laughs about it now. We, we've since discussed it and we were friends again and, 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 and all of that. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where that is me trying to live out. And that was a very long story. I'm sorry. That took forever to tell, but trying to live out one of these fucking movie scenes. And it's weird because I think fixating on them, like having certain of these images ingrained in my head for so long, you almost forget how the person gets in and out of that scene. So you, for, you there's no way to integrate integrate it into the real world. Yeah, you can't just you, you can't just fade to uh, to breakfast the next morning. <laughs> oh, no, you cannot. No, <laughs> and and especially if they don't, if they're not with you the next morning, you're just fading to you know yourself licking ash out of a 
Coors can. Oh, but, embarrassing. I mean, Very embarrassing. It's, it's, it's and shared as here as on the internet. As it should be. As it is. As it should be. Yes. As it has been done. As it um, but it's better to have done it than to have regretted not doing it. Um, she was very forgiving. Otherwise, no. But yeah. I, <laughs> okay. but, but think about how much faith or whatever the word is, how much pressure you and I put on these movies. I mean, the movies aren't sentient things, but... And I'm right. speaking for you, so correct me if I'm wrong. There's an expect, or used to be. Yes, I'm past this now, but there used to be an expectation, and it started with the John Hughes movies <coughs> in the '80s. But there used to be this expectation that you would live, I could live, and would live my life like the movies I watched. That that was the only way to communicate, to exist, and that I would do that. And that's that really is treating people like props, you know, and not allowing them space. Yeah. It's working from a yeah, script, really. That was, that was, uh, that was a life I lived. I mean, that was a life you and I lived. I think yes, for a very long that. time. Yeah. Um, have we grown? I think I've grown. I'm, I'm a little bit past that. I feel like I'm past and that. And it feels like a loss. Like, I will say, I don't, I am past that. I don't stage things. I might act them out in my head, you know, in little fantasies, but I don't actually actively think I'm going to go... Because I'm not pursuing anyone. I'm actually in what's considered a mature relationship, and that's good, you know. But I will say if I'm watching a movie and I get worked up by it, or if I get lost in a, in, in a romantic movie, or I'm, you know, I'm constantly surprised at how, like, sitcoms and, and TV shows I watch to this day, emotional moments will always get me. I miss, because yeah. I don't have this anymore, I do miss the you know, the playing in the mind of the the pretend or, or the inserting of myself into that role. I miss that. And I do miss the living of the dialogue kind of thing. You know, all these images we're talking about, I miss trying to recreate those because it was fun, you know? And and, and the emotions were real. Yeah. They may not have been what I thought they were, but there is something about, you know, going back, I always go back to fucking anything but love. And I'm like, that is what I thought my life would be me bantering with my female best friend, you know, and I had it for a long time. And then it just, it didn't, that alone doesn't satisfy forever because eventually it is just a performance and either the person moves on or you run out of things to say or, or, you know, something changes in it. Yeah. I think I've done that with, with, with my wife who, um, yeah, like our early relationship was very much, that banter and that, <clears throat> that, uh, I don't want to say it's an act, but it's definitely an exaggeration of, of yourself. Um, and you, you, you just, you kind of can feel it. It just, it, it makes it, I don't know if you really are saying things smarter and funnier, but you feel like you are, uh, in those well, moments, at least for yeah. me. And, and, uh, for my time, I mean, I've been with 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 my wife now uh, for seventeen years. Her name is mentioned in the Usual and Suspect uh, episode. I you were supposed to edit that out. <laughs> I believe it's at the thirty-two minute mark with eleven seconds. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Um, I don't want my other wife to know. Does she have the internet? <laughs> no. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, what was I trying to say? 
We've just gotten so used to each other. I think we've got, we don't have to do that anymore. I mean, we'll have moments where, where it feels like that, that old us is there, but we're just so already, we, we know each other so well that, the, we don't even have to do the bits, I guess. See, you keep saying we don't don't have to, don't have to. Like, I never felt like I had to. You know, when I found the person who could do the bits with me, who I could banter with, I loved that. Like, I locked into that. Yeah. Um, I think you, yeah, you and you and, and your wife, because through the duration of time and the maturity of growing up, and maybe the fact that because of you know eventually you go into reruns, but I just I feel like. These things, these steps, like what shows were, were I never interested in? You know, I wasn't the biggest fan of, say, Mad About You, which was a show about a happily married couple. I liked it, but once they had a kid, I stopped watching it. You know, what's a movie I never want to watch? A movie about parents raising a child. Like that angle wasn't something that had the banter to it. The closeness of a mature yeah. relationship that has lasted a long time and doesn't have to always struggle with the bumps of half an hour of drama isn't a television program, isn't something I was aiming for. Now that I finally have it and it's all new to me, that's great. I'm not doing the bits. I'm not recreating the drama of getting there. But I used to love doing that, you know, and, and you and, and, and your wife bantering, you know, or doing bits and routines. You know, like I can't speak highly enough for the relationship I'm in. It is unlike anything I've ever been in. Prior to it, all of my relationships were these drama bombs of things, you know, were these sitcom performances. You know, and even this relationship now started as one, but it's matured into something else. Part of what drove those other relationships, I think, was the need to, or the want, you know, now I'm saying the, the want to act out, you know, to act out my episodes as I try to discover feelings. And I lucked out if I clicked with someone who did the same. Yeah. But that's not bad. I don't think that's bad. It's it's no, unhealthy. No. It's unhealthy and and you it's, miss out, but it's not bad. It's it's how we just developed into these roles, into these personalities and in, into into our lives, I think, you know, and I, and the pop culture that we grew up with was a big influence on that. And you know, thankfully, I think we we have some things that that influenced us that are are decent and wholesome and humorous. <laughs> I like know? one of those Thank words. Thank God we weren't, you know. <laughs> humorous, sure. Um, wow. What a bunch of posers we are. Just ripping off our entertainment. Right? So, I mean, again, it makes sense. I didn't even and that's not even how that's not even how I approach this as you were um putting putting the idea out there of, of finding these images that connected. But clearly, that's that's what it is. Wait, how did how did you approach it? What, what did you think the episode was going to be? Well, I didn't think it was going to be about us, um, like you're calling us posers, which which clearly we were. Well, that's but I thought it yeah. Would, I waited to the I, end to say that, but yeah, I thought it would. You know, I thought it would just be. Um, I thought it would be more like the 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 friends image, where it you just connected with it, and not mm-hmm. so much where all these other images that we, that we've pulled up. And talked about um, from films that uh, or TV shows that that we either were trying to be or wanted to be, and and that's uh, uh, not the that's not the route I thought this podcast would take. This episode, but I enjoyed it. 
Oh, good. No, I did too. I, again, I I like re-examining how these things impacted, and you know, for good, and for bad, and for some of those relationships, I should apologize for. Um. Well, great. That was good. That was pretty good. Um. Yeah. I like these kind of going off the off the rails a little bit uh, from from the other uh, the other episodes that we have rotating. Yeah, well, you know, and it calls into question, should the thing just be called 20th Century Popcast every time? But no, we've talked about that before. Rotating names and I guess is, is fine. As long as people have one central hub to look it for, which is the segue into plugs. If you like the, if you like this show, excuse me, like this show, if you if you third like this show, um, want to hear more of it or, or, or just want to get updated every time uh, an episode appears, which should be every Thursday, you can follow us at 20 Pop podcast.com i say follow but that's actually a website so you can visit it um every time an episode gets updated uh it goes up there there's a player right on the page you can listen to um also hopefully coming up soon i'm going to start trying to put more articles and things up just about the stuff that we're talking about that's something to read uh if you'd like to subscribe to your podcast so they automatically update and if you use itunes uh 20th century podcast is now on itunes there's a link in the show notes to that so you can subscribe still working on getting it up on stitcher google play and a couple of other sites we'll keep trying with that we have a facebook page please like us on there and myself tim blevins you can always follow at subcultist that's on twitter uh twitter page follow me there and you can learn everything else uh that's going on in my life I also have an Instagram account. I'll link to that because the images we were talking about on this episode, I'll post them up on Instagram so you can see each one that we were talking about. Bob, talk about yourself. Only a little bit. Um, you can follow me at, uh, on Twitter at RH Canning. That's RH Canning on Twitter. And uh, I, I'm going to reiterate, I want some letters. I want some, some tweets and questions. Um, so feel free to drop those there. And what do you think about this? I can hashtag them at uh, 20 Popcast. That's Hashtag great. Please do. Podcast. That's wonderful. Also, the 20, uh, 20popcast.com has a pop talk uh, section in the menu that should be up and running soon. And that's a place where you can just submit any questions you want us to answer on the air or on the line. But yes, I like the idea. Or topics or you topics want us to talk about. to talk about. Yes, all those things are very true. Boy, if those plugs made sense, that was a lot of good information. If not... <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we, we won't get any letters, but yeah, I think things are going well. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Trying to think of an episode I could recreate right here that would be hilarious. I don't have it, so I'm just gonna say, see you next time, everyone. Catchphrase. Oh, yes.